0: You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James.
1: So, verse 8. We're back in 1 Samuel now. Chapter 16, verse 8, it says, So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. Oh, the youngest, the runt, the little guy. Man, remember back then, it was the firstborn that gets everything. But we've seen from the scripture that God, well, he doesn't always work that way, does he? Look at Jacob and Esau. Jacob got the blessing, being the younger anyway, catching the heel of Esau as they came out. Ephraim and Manasseh, they were brought to be blessed. Um, Joseph brought his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to be blessed by Jacob before he died. And the oldest was to be at the, at the right hand, Manasseh. But what did Jacob do? He whoops, he pulled the old switcheroo and he put his right hand on Ephraim and blessed Ephraim as as the oldest, even though he was the youngest. And so here David is being chosen by God, the youngest of all these brothers. Not even present with them. Not even invited to the feast. Not even mentioned by name when asked, do you have another? Oh yeah, there's the youngest. Instead of, oh yeah, my son, David, David. No, it was like, dad didn't even seem proud of him. He was like the Cinderella man. And there he is keeping the sheep. He's out there with the sheep. That's the servant's job, by the way. Perhaps they didn't inherit all the money from Boaz and Ruth. But there he was tending the sheep. He was the shepherd boy. Seems to be the Hebrew requisite for leadership. Abraham, right? He was a shepherd guy. Isaac. Jacob, Moses spent 40 years tending sheep in the wilderness before saying, let my people go. Saul, and and now David. David Gusick mentioned some things about this. I'll summarize it. As a shepherd, David would be able to spend time in creation to think, to ponder God and his creation and worship him for it to be able to be out there under the stars with the sheep, writing songs and playing his harp. Man, I started tearing up. I was thinking of that as we were worshiping today, just thinking of David on his harp. Audience of one, God. That's all that mattered. God didn't matter that he wasn't sitting in front of a bunch of people who were clapping their hands and doing this. Didn't matter to him. He's got his sheep and he's got God and he's going to worship the Lord. You know how much that thrilled the heart of God? That thrilled the heart of God. good friend of mine, Steve Polatsky, who was a co-teacher at Calvary Chapel Anaheim and then actually uh, was the worship leader at Calvary Chapel Open Door for several years, was called up north to Washington, and he was involved in church and things like that. But um, but then he had to step away from worship because of some physical things that were happening with him. And he got another job and he was cleaning out these uh, rentals. Um, they were like RV rentals. And he's cleaning them out. And he hadn't picked up his guitar in a long time. And uh, because, you know, there's no one to lead in worship. But then as he was cleaning it out, he saw in this RV a pick. And he looked and it was his favorite kind of pick. And he said, man, the Lord was speaking to me. You pick up your guitar and you worship me. You don't need an audience. You're worshiping me, me. Amen? Amen. Guys, God doesn't care if you're up here or down there when you worship him. We want worship leaders who can care less if they're up here or down there when they worship him. Yes, we want, you know, next week, we're gonna talk about this a little bit more. We want skillful worship leaders, and praise God for our skillful worship leaders. And we want worship leaders who are truly worshiping God, and they would be doing that no matter what. If they weren't up here, you would go to their house and visit, and they'd be like, you know, playing, you know, pray, worshiping Jesus in the living room by themselves, you know? Hallelujah. So, this is an important concept that we understand. David's out there worshiping God in the fields, developing the heart of a caregiver. Another point for being this, you know, that would develop him as a shepherd. He was being a caregiver to all these sheep to relate to God as a caregiver. So providing for the sheep, leading the sheep, this is what God does. And this is why the Bible compares us to sheep all the time. And he is called the shepherd. This is why David wrote so many psalms in reference to shepherding. Why don't we read together Psalm 23 just as a reminder, and you may know it by heart, which is great. Psalm 23. It was a Psalm of David. And as he tended the sheep and acted as a shepherd, he recognized this is how God is to me. And so he says in Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to lack anything because I know I make sure my sheep are well fed out there in the fields, and I find the pasture for them because I'm a good shepherd. David's saying, and I know that my God, he's going to lead me to those good pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Ah, refreshment. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David knew as a shepherd that would take his sheep down paths that would lead them to the place that was best for them, that could support them best and provide best for their needs, that this is what God does for you and for me. Verse four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in those dangerous situations where you think you might die, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Hey, if I know the shepherd's with me and he's good, I don't have to worry about a thing. He's got a big stick and maybe a sling, and I'm not going to worry. I'm trusting in the shepherd. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Oh, just wait, David. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be part of his flock forever and ever and ever. Praise Lord, his protection, his provision, all the benefits of being a sheep in the flock of Jesus. Out in the fields, David would be developing trust in the face of danger. We find later that a lion comes, and he beats that lion down and defeats it, and then a bear comes, and he defeats that as well. And so this is not a time of waiting. Sometimes we're out in the field, so to speak. We're between uh, you know, situations. It could be relationally. Boy, I remember waiting for God to bring me a wife and you know you go through times of loneliness and oh i just want a companion or whatever you know and then in this time of in between and it's a time of waiting but we also need to understand that those times are also times of training of god building character within us and preparing us for what's next he's always doing something in the present that is valuable and wonderful but he's also always preparing us for what's next. Always. And that's how we should, that's, that should be our outlook as Christians. Man, what I'm doing now is good and it's important. But it's also a training ground for what's next. And ultimately, as we go to heaven, <laughs> praise the Lord, we're not just in a time of waiting, we're in a time of training. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ one day, friends. It's going to be a glorious day. And let's make sure we're well prepared and well trained in whatever way he's doing it now in our hearts and lives on this earth before we get there. All right, so Jesus is the good shepherd. Remember in John 10? Take a look at John 10, verse 11. Although Jesus was not a shepherd by occupation. Remember, he was a carpenter. So John 10, verse 11, though he compares himself to a good shepherd, really identifying with David. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Man, we picture again, David willing to put himself in danger with the lion and the bear. But a hireling... He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He only cares about his wages, not about the sheep. We need to be careful of not having that kind of attitude, right, as one pastor said, I'm a professional Christian, and so, yes, like me, I, I am supported by you for meeting my needs, my physical needs, and the Lord provides that, but for a pastor to begin to see the, the sheep and the flock as his means of gaining wealth and comfort, that's not of the Lord. And so God, help me and other pastors like me, other leadership in Christian ministry to not fleece the sheep, so to speak, but to feed the sheep, to love the sheep and to tend them as the Lord would give them and me the heart to do so. Amen. Amen. We tend the sheep, not as hirelings. And so Jesus is the ultimate owner of the sheep. He is the good shepherd. And everyone else is an under-shepherd. And, you know, David exemplified this. This is why God said, here's a man after my own heart. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a good shepherd, friend. That's a good shepherd. Now, We're in the middle of verse 11 there back in 1 Samuel 16, middle of verse 11. It says, and Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down till he comes here. We're not going to sit down to eat of the sacrifice that has already been done until he comes here. Verse 12, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. Nobody seems to know exactly what that means, but scholars think fair skinned complexion with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Man, there's so much in this little section of Scripture, but picture the scene. Here comes David from the fields. A very young boy, perhaps 10, 11, right around in that age, coming out and just this kid with a fair skin complexion and a a good looking kid and everything. And and then right in in the midst of his brothers as Eliab, the big buff guy, and all the other brothers are watching, little brother, the little runt, the guy that we give noogies and wedgies to, he is getting anointed as the next king of Israel in front of them. And so that would be a very challenging situation to the pride, right? But God says, be humble, be humble. And then it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So we think back to King Saul and what happened to him. It was Similar as he was anointed as king, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him to go and to rescue. Remember, they rescued that Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead, and God was with him. But then he, he let it get to his head, and he became prideful and fleshly. And we're going to see what happens in the next section of scripture next week to Saul because of that. But as for David, the Spirit of the Lord is coming upon David for the work of the ministry that he will be doing. And so Samuel goes on to Ramah. Now, remember that David took that ritual bath, that ceremonial cleansing. He went to this sacrificial event Then he had the anointing with the oil for kingship, and oil in the Bible is representative of the Holy Spirit, and we can see why here, because right after the anointing of the oil, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. So it's like the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the New Testament. Remember that Jesus was the Messiah. Messiah is that Hebrew word, Mashiach, or in the Greek, Christ. It means anointed one, a savior. It was reserved for kings and for priests. Now, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, with this in mind. My brother Josh gets really deep into this, and I love it. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, this is the baptism of Jesus. A lot of people ask, why was Jesus baptized? Baptism is, right, the, you're, you're dying with Christ, you're being buried with him. Why? Because you're a sinner, <laughs> because you've sinned. And, and so you're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins, and you're dying to self. And then you're coming up, as Jesus came up, from the grave into newness of life, into resurrection. And then you're serving him. You're going in that new resurrected victory life into service for the king, and it's a beautiful thing, baptism. But why was Jesus baptized? Well, we know he was baptized as an example for us. But this was much more special than just an example. There was much more significance to it. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. It says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Does this sound familiar? He had the ritual cleansing, like David did. And then he had, what? The anointing. And this is as he was beginning his ministry on the earth, the anointing. This was the coronation of Jesus. It's beautiful. I love this. You know, John the Baptist, he was a priest. He was in a priestly family. And he went around and he was baptizing people. He would put his hands on them and he would submerge them under water for the repentance of sins. So for him, it was less a picture of the cross and more just, hey, you're being washed of your sins. But you see, to touch something, when you're clean and you touch something unclean, it's transferred to you and you become unclean. And so in this sense, according to the Old Testament scriptures, this principle, John the Baptist was just taken on a whole lot of uncleanness as he was baptizing people. So when Jesus came to him and said, all right, John, it's time for you to baptize me. And he said, no way. I'm full of sin, man, are you kidding me? All Israel has come out and they've been baptized by me. I'm filthy, I've been touching all these filthy people. I'm disgusting. You want me to touch you and baptize you? And and Jesus said, yes. We must fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? We've got to be obedient, John. And God, the Father, is calling me to go to the cross. And so we're going to signify that by me going under and burying. But because of that, I'm going to come up as a king. I'm going to be a resurrected king. And I'm going to receive the anointing for my kingship by the Holy Spirit of God. And there, Jesus received that anointing. It was all a foreshadowing of the cross and the resurrection and his glory in heaven. But he's also stepping into his ministry, being led by the Holy Spirit, absolutely obedient to everything that God has said. So there's this beautiful connection between the anointing of David as king and the anointing of Jesus Christ as king in his baptism. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war. Speaking of the Antichrist and his armies, these will make war with the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And that's you and me, friends. And as we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into the royal family. As we receive Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, we are being born again into the royal family of God. Hallelujah. It's our coronation. It's our coronation. So we, like Saul, have a a tendency To usurp the throne of Jesus. Remember that Jesus belongs on the throne. He is God. The Israelites rejected Jesus as king. And they said, we want a a king like all the nations around us. And Saul was made king, but ultimately he didn't want to be ruled by God, the king of kings. He rejected God's rule and wanted to do his own thing. And so often we can relate to the bad guy in the story at least I can, where I go, man, how many times did I want to keep myself on the throne instead of on the altar? And we're to put God on the throne, and we put ourselves on the altar, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service And so we, like Saul, have a tendency to usurp the throne of Jesus, to put ourselves in command. The throne of heaven and the throne of our hearts are rightfully his. They belong to God. Whenever I usurp the throne, I am an illegitimate ruler. And he says, take your rightful place in subjection to me. I am the king, and I'm the only one that is qualified to be in that position. And I'm a good king, and you'll love it if you just surrender to me in faith. Step by step, step by step, he'll lead you. And we will follow him all of our ways. And so let's surrender today. Let's give him glory and surrender our hearts and our lives to him, even the little details You know, sometimes we're tempted to just go, yeah, I've done that. I did that. I received Christ. I went forward. I said the prayer. I I took a big step of faith here and there. But God says, yeah, even in the little things, the day-to-day living, be surrendered to me. Man, the best kind of diet you can go on is a diet with Jesus. Jesus, I just love you, and you love me, and what do you want me to eat today? How do you want me to eat? Lord, I just love you, and you love me, and you're my king, and, you know, I want to exercise. What should I do for exercise today, Lord? You know, this kind of thing brings joy into the things that sometimes could bring us just a bunch of distress and pain. I hate dieting. I hate exercise. It stinks. Invite Jesus into it, and boom! It becomes good. Praise the Lord.
0: You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get In Touch form. At the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.